everyone, and welcome to the Talking CX Podcast. We are so happy today. Uh, we have Nicolette Oring with us to talk about CX around the world as we are continuing our podcast series of exploring CX in different countries and different regions. And we have Graham Clark with us. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Graham, would you like to introduce Nicolette for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so Nicolette is uh, is kind of a well-known um, player, I suppose, in the in the CX world, especially in the Netherlands. Um, we first met forever ago when uh, when Nicolette was at Liberty Global, um, one of the world's leading media companies, and have been um, kind of somewhat colleagues and friends ever since. And she is the uh, she is the author of an amazing little book, um, which has a great uh, a great advantage of both being pointed, informative. And relatively short, um, and that's a book on customer advocacy. And I've, I've I've purchased and given away a bunch of those books over the years um, because it's a great little primer in terms of um, the principles of customer advocacy, which is obviously an aspiration of a lot of organisations as they move from from you know uh, happy customers to loyal customers to to advocates. So it's great to have Nicolette um, on the uh, on the podcast today. Thank you, Graham. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful to have you here, Nicolette. So maybe if you you. could just talk a little bit about, um, you know, your background in CX and kind of the part of the world you're in and, and, and how that all fits together for you. Yes, with pleasure. Thank you, Robin. Um, well, I've been involved in CX for as long as I can remember. <laughs> My first job in high school was attending to customers in the local supermarket of the village where I grew up in the Netherlands. And from there, I progressed to working my way through university as a flight attendant, traveling across Europe and the US. And since my graduation, I've always worked in the front line of organizations in a variety of roles, countries and continents. And um Well, as markets globalized and digitalized and products and services commoditized, service more and more moved from purely a cost uh, and operational to an investment and strategic asset. Um, And at the same time, with the development from mass marketing and communication to one-on-one or one-to-one marketing and communication, I've seen the convergence of the frontline service, marketing and sales So if you ask me what CX areas I focus on, the answer is any area that touches the customer. Um, And why, you may ask, well, because the front line is where everything comes together. A customer doesn't think in steps in customer journeys. He just wants to be serviced in a way that is relevant, personal, and unique to him or her. Um, So if any organization drops the ball in the perception of the customer, anywhere during that journey guess who the customer turns to they <laughs> to turn customer to service yeah <laughs> <laughs> to the front line oh that's what you mean i was going to ask you what you mean by the front line and that's what ah. you mean okay 
Well, I, I talk about frontline because, um, you know, customer service tends to be perceived quite narrow, whereas the frontline uh, is more broader. I mean, customer service, you know, the, the operations that I've been responsible for, you know, sometimes it was just really, um, you know, the direct customer channels. But, um, you know, often it also involved uh, billing and collections. Uh, it involved the... Um, um, the uh, service techs, uh, you know, it can, it can be a lot broader than that. So a much broader responsibility. Okay. But at the end of the day, uh, the front line is, is really uh, where, um, you know, the, the customer meets the organization. So it's a decisive um, interaction usually. I imagine, yeah, I imagine it is. And I imagine you have a lot of experiences with with customers who may not have been all that thrilled with you know <laughs> what's happening so yeah to put it mildly <laughs> oh my goodness well we i would love to hear a lot of those just just kind of off of the top of your head i guess let's just kind of sprinkle them all through here so you know speaking of i guess Let's start from your earlier experiences, right? Since mm-hmm. it sounds like that's where you started was customer service. Mm-hmm. So as a comparatively new customer service person, um, what are one of your earliest experiences that really stand out that kind of drove maybe, you know, how you started to think about CX? Um. Well, I've been you know, uh, involved in what we call in uh, on the continent the cowboy years in cable and telcos. Um, yeah. And that was really when cable and telcos were still very much uh, utility-based. Um, and then the Americans came in, uh-huh. <laughs> hence my American accent. Um, so that was the, the end of the, the second half of the 90s. Um, and the Schneider family uh, bought uh, what at the time was still United and Philips Cable, later became United Pan-European Communications, which was, um, you know, a lot later acquired by Liberty Global. And uh, that those were the first big launches of internet through cable, telephony through cable, pay-per-view, pay-TV services. Um, and that was really all about, okay, so we are going to launch services that customers have never seen. They, they cannot conceptualize them. So, um, you know, how can we make it as cookie cutter as possible and make it as, as um, you know, easy to use for customers as possible? So those were really the early days. And, and, and it was still very much geared to launching these services and just getting them out there. Um, and I think sort of the, the the turning point came when I was approached by Gene Musselman to join Liberty Global um, uh, and become responsible for customer care in Europe. And it was really at the time uh, there were 14 countries and um, the reputation, especially of uh, UPC's customer service, was really bad. Um, and Jean said, you know, I, I really am tired of the shareholders in Denver receiving complaint letters from customers uh, all across Europe. 
Uh, and I also don't like the fact that we're in the press negatively all the time. Uh, and that to me was like, this is really interesting because I think the time has come to uh, for telcos and the cable industry to start to look differently at the people, A, the people serving customers and B, customers themselves. Uh, you know, in the industry, we still talk about revenue generating units, RGUs. Those are customers or a customer can have several RGUs, but not as people. Um, and I realized that uh, service was going to be um, much more important. So, you know, it was really before we started to talk about customer experience, but I realized that customer experience was going to be crucial. Um, so it took around two years to really take everybody, um, you know, working within customer service. So that, that was about three and a half thousand people uh, on a journey of really turning around that situation. Uh, and it was, a, for me, it was like a strategic playground, to be quite honest. During that time, mm -hmm. um, what interaction with a customer really stood out to you? Like during that time, that, that kind of symbolized the whole issue and what you, how you were going <laughs> to approach it. Well, we started with um, uh, you know, just really visiting customers in their home. Now we would call it customer safaris. Um, and uh, just talking with them about their experience. So I had a multidisciplinary team um, and people from different levels in the organization all the way up to the vice presidents in countries. And it was really interesting. Uh, you know, I'll never forget one customer. And uh, she was like, um, she said, you know, if, if, if only you guys would just really listen to me. Um, and she had received a reminder uh, and threats, actually, for uh, a collection process because, uh, uh, you know, she supposedly owed us 1,700 euro. And this was a young person and she was in a panic. Um, and, you know, she said, if only you would listen to me um, and, uh, and help me solve my problem. Um, and the other side of that is we also sat down with um, service reps. And what was really interesting, what, what they said is, you know, just if you would just give me the space to take ownership of a customer's problem and to really see it through from the, the first time the customer, uh, you know, contacts us with that problem is to see it all the way down to uh, it being resolved and me being able to reach out to the customer, even if that's a month later, to ask the customer, I promised you this and this and that. And I just want to hear from you, did it happen or not? And it was really interesting because those two things, you know, all across Europe, um, you know, I've done this kind of research many, many times, and this is always, always what comes back. So these are things that are quite universal. Wanting to be listened to. Wanting to be listened to and for the service reps to be able to take ownership of a customer's problem instead of, you know, just being a human doing, executing steps in a process without making that connection and especially that emotional connection with the customer. I mean, you also talked about, you know, the feedback piece, right? So yeah, you know, listening, taking ownership, and then 
you know, reaching back out to say, hey, we did something or we didn't do something or what we did worked or what we did didn't work. Yeah. But that's the, that's the difference between the human connection and a, and a computer or a digital connection, ultimately, is feeling exactly. like somebody cares enough to, to interact with you. Well, and also, Graeme, as, as I always call it, be able as, you know, a leader to create a safe and brave space for people. Because you do ask people to really start to, you know, take liberties, quote unquote, that they're really not used to. So you're really taking people from being very, very task driven to being result driven. Um, and to be quite honest, I mean, that that really is a it's a learning process. Um, and also for middle management, it very often is. Uh, it's it's really scary because you're you're starting to change the way that they are used to managing their resources, and I think the 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 most um, uh, um, you know, obvious why a, a KPI is average handling time, because uh, at the time one of the things that I said is I don't care about average handling time. Let's just let go of that KPI. And everybody was in shock because it was like, whoa, I mean, that's how I manage my resources. And I said, well, you know, let's just see what happens. You know, that's one of my magic words, pilot. So we piloted it. Um, and it's, it's, you know, once you create that space for um, a, a service rep to really, you know, that safe and brave space to take ownership of the customer's problem, the interesting thing that we saw immediately was that the first contact resolution rates skyrocketed. And obviously the repeat traffic went completely away. So even if the average handling time would have gone up significantly, which it did a little bit in the beginning, but later on it went back to the levels it was on average always at. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, the uh, the operational, so the OPEX savings were huge, um, not speaking about NPS and customer experience. What you said about the person being able to reach out and really resolve that problem requires mm -hmm. them to be empowered to do that. Yeah, and exactly. as you were saying, a lot of corporations don't allow that to happen. And nope. what have you seen, you know, since that first experience, what have you seen from corporations on their willingness to actually empower um, their support people to be able to resolve issues? Well, <laughs> For a lot of leaders, it's very, or managers, I should say, for a lot of managers, it's really scary um, because you really are asking them to change the way that they manage their operation. And I think the other thing is, um, you know, and that's for customer experience, full stop. Um, if, if you want to improve your customer experience, you know, um, you can you can say to your customer service reps, you know, treat the customer this and that way and the other and create a safe and brave space. But if all they are doing is, um, you know, speaking with complaining customers, yelling customers, unsatisfied customers, because 
further deeper in the organization things go wrong, you will never be able to create that uh, game-changing customer experience. So it always starts with, I actually, when I come into an organization, there are usually two things I have to start with. And one is what I call the brilliant basics. So you have to have your basics um, in order for, you know, to, it's like a, a mountain, you know, and um, customer experience like, is like the tip of the mountain, but you have to have your basics in order. And that usually also involves, um, you know, so it involves your customer journeys, uh, your, so your processes, your systems. Um, and the other side of it is also a governance framework. So very often, um, you know, the strategically you want to focus on customer experience, but at the same time you treat your um, worker bees, for lack of a better word, the the, the um, you know the customer service reps um, as human doings. So you manage them on. KPIs like average handling time, very operational mm -hmm. KPIs in mm -hmm. only looking at the efficiency um, and not looking at the quality of their work as perceived by the customer. So if you manage them only on efficiency, then guess what you get? You know, you may be very efficient, but you still don't get the kind of quality that you want, the kind of game-changing customer experience that you want. And it makes sense because they're, experience as service reps is also very geared toward executing tasks. So, mm -hmm. and that all usually also involves really looking at uh, a gov creating a governance framework where you balance quantity and quality, because yes, as a, as a large operation or even a small operation, you do need to be efficient, but you have to balance it. So you have to have the brilliant basics, but you have to balance it with quality. And then quality A as perceived by your employees, and then B by your customers. You know, I really love um, Colleen Barrett. Um, you know, one of the well, she made uh, together with Herb Keller, they made uh, Southwest, Air Southwest Airlines big. Um, and she always said, you know, um, my job is 80% of the time uh, making sure that our employees are happy, so that they can spend 100% of their time making sure that our customers are happy and that will make our shareholders happy. And it's in that order. And, right. and you know, I, I, I live by that. And I've, you know, uh, uh, and I've seen the success uh, uh, and the great business cases that come from that. Yeah, I, I imagine that you have. So you've described a, a kind of a foundational interaction with a customer that really drove your whole outlook on CX, mm -hmm. what interaction did you have with corporate leaders, like a tale of two corporations, right? One that they didn't listen to you and, and what that was like and one where they did. <laughs> well, it can be anonymous. Like I said. Yeah, 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 it can be, it can be, you know, I once had, um, um, uh, a leader that I reported to, and uh, I really, uh, you know, put together the the business case. I had proven it to him. He saw the numbers, and he was really excited about those. And I said to him, "Well, you know, this is only the beginning. You know, we can take this much, much further." And he said to me, "Nicolette, 
to me, you're like my um, wizard apprentice. For the life of me, I do not understand how you do it. But I see the numbers, so keep on doing it. Uh, <laughs> so oh, did nice. he listen? Well, in a way, but he was, um, yeah, he, he couldn't grasp the concept. He just, he thought it was magic, but he didn't, he didn't want to understand the magic. <laughs> Which actually was really interesting because m- many years later, when he worked as a, um, uh, a non-executive board member for another big corporation, he was retired uh, by that time. He actually reached out to uh, my um, uh, the guy in my team who had put together the uh, governance framework for us, and he asked for that governance framework. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so eventually, I, but at least he appreciated your your work, even if he didn't understand it. Right? You left that exactly. up to you, and he exactly. believed you, and yeah. you know, let you do the magic that you did. So that's all great. Um, What happened in cases where the, where the leadership didn't listen to you? Um, Or did they all listen to you? No. Well, in a way, I mean, I've had, uh, uh, you know, another example is where I had, now I, I usually, I mean, like Graham said, I sort of have a reputation. So okay. usually when companies, um, you know, are, you know, one of their key strategic things is uh, customer centricity. Um, they uh, they find me and they ask me, can you please help us? Oh, okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> I've had one occasion where, um, you know, the leader brought me in and um, after 45 days, I sort of gave her a 45 day review and um, she asked me, uh, do you think I brought you in under false pretenses? And I said, well, no, actually. Uh, and you know, basically my assessment was that there was a lot going wrong in the basics of the organization. So I said to her, you know, you really need to fix the basics first before you can start to think about customer centricity, because it's not fair to your uh, frontline to, um, to, to put this upon them when the basics are not in order. Um, and, uh, well, did she not listen to me? I wouldn't even put it that way, but it was just too much for her to. And she said, okay, that that's, you know, let me just do it my way. But, um, you know, I, I can't fix all those basics. And I said, that's fine. But, you know, know what you're getting yourself into and what especially, uh, you know, the risks are for your organization. Yeah, I, I love that, by the way, because, I mean, I can almost put that quote on the website, right? I mean, you've got to fix the basics first before yeah. you focus on customer centricity. And a lot of uh, a lot of leaders are like, no, 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 I wanted you to come up with something sparkly, yeah. new and innovative. Yeah. And it's a little bit, um, I have another friend of mine who always describes this a little bit like um, putting, putting beautiful handcrafted windows and scalloping along the roof line and copper planing, plating your roof when the foundation's crumbling underneath the house. Yeah, and so exactly. I, I think everybody wants something new and interesting and exciting. And in so many organizations, the real value and the real ROI comes from really focusing in on the basics. 
It, it yes, exactly. Otherwise, it's just yeah, uh, it's a waste of money, time, and everything. It's like lipstick on a pig. There you go. Good southern term. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to pause the conversation there about lipstick on a pig and brilliant basics and pick up on the rest of this conversation next week. What a fantastic summary of how great CX really arose around focusing on the brilliant basics. And of course, you know, for Nicolette, what makes our very own CX wizard apprentice, which she talked about. We really appreciate Nicolette being here and sharing her thoughts and experience with us and her stories. And we're looking forward to having her back next time. And until then, thank you so much for listening. You can contact us through our website. And remember, do CX right. And do it right now. Bye.